Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGM Prophetic Grace Network. This is Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. I am Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. I'm so excited about what I have to share with you today. By the grace of God, we are going to look at, examine, analyze the three prophecies in the Book of Revelation that culminate with the Battle of Armageddon. If you are looking at the one-page study notes, the free one-page study notes, as you know, everything at PGN, Prophetic Grace Network, is always 100% free. Prayer is free. Study notes are free. Ministry is free. If you are looking at the one-page study notes on the blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic site, you will see that under letter, I'm bringing the study notes up now so that I can look at them as we're talking. Under the last letter, letter G, I share this prophecy in group of prophecies context. And what I mean by that is that there are 12 statements of prophecy, if you will, 12 documentaries in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator, when he was called up to heaven, as noted by his report, his report on heaven, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, when he was called up to heaven, he was shown 12 documentaries. Three of these documentaries, Statement of Prophecy number 7, the seven plagues prophecy, which is our focus today. Statement of Prophecy number 8, the purple and scarlet prophecy. And Statement of Prophecy number 9, the marriage supper prophecy. These three prophecies hang together. What do I mean by that? Let's go to the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon, that is the culminating point. The Battle of Armageddon is... The day that Jesus Christ fights and wins with the armies of heaven against the armies led by the Antichrist and the kings of the world, he fights and wins the war to end all wars. There will never, ever be another war on this present earth or on the earth to come according to the Bible. Now, prior to... The Battle of Armageddon, there are some key events. Those key events include the first resurrection. Let me say that again. Those key events include the first resurrection. Those key events include the headquarters of the harlot church being destroyed. Those key events include the wrath of God. Those key events include the wrath of Satan. Okay, 
So I said a number of hopefully intriguing things to you. I want to take us on a trajectory that will allow you and me to clearly see how some of these key events unfold in chronological order. So we're going to start with the Battle of Armageddon. The reason that we're starting there is this. After the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, we have the beginning of the government of Jesus Christ on this earth. And Isaiah chapter 9 tells us, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So, of course, every truth seeker and believer, every person who is a person of peace looks forward to that day. But what events necessarily must come to pass before we arrive at the government of Jesus Christ on this earth? So immediately before the government of Jesus Christ is established on this earth is the Battle of Armageddon. So when the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, the governments of man are put down and the government of Jesus Christ is erected. So the nations are permitted to continue, most nations, not all, as we'll hear, most nations are permitted to continue, but Jesus Christ is indeed king of all kings and lord of all lords. Well, you say, well, when is that and where is that? When that is, is at the commencement of his government on this present earth, and it is forever and ever. So where it's going to happen is here on earth, and when it's going to happen is after the Battle of Armageddon is fought in one. Let's talk about, let's go to the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. We're going to focus on the seven plagues prophecy. We're starting with, very briefly, documentary number nine, the marriage supper prophecy. Then we're going to look at, very briefly, the purple and scarlet prophecy. Then we're going to look intensively and in great detail at the seven plagues prophecy. You say, why? Why are we going to do that? I thought our focus today was the seven plagues prophecy. It is. Note again that these three prophecies hang together. Before the Battle of Armageddon, is fought in one, the headquarters of the harlot church is destroyed. Before the headquarters of the harlot church is destroyed, six of the seven final plagues happen on this present earth. So we're going to the pinnacle of these activities and that endpoint, the Battle of Armageddon, and we're going to work our way back to the seven plagues prophecy. Okay, so the marriage supper prophecy, where is it? It's in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 to verse 21. If you're looking at the one-page study notes at blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic, that information, the scripture, uh, the scripture and verses are all there under letter G on the one-page basic study notes for the seven plagues prophecy. So we're starting at the Battle of Armageddon. In Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 6, this is the detailed vision John the Revelator was shown when he was called up to heaven. This is the documentary John the Revelator was shown that gives the greatest detail 
about the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is mentioned multiple places in the book of Revelation. Why? Well, there are 12 documentaries, 12 statements of prophecy about future events. Each documentary has its own focus, but the director reserved the right to include whatever footage he wanted. So multiple references exist to the Battle of Armageddon across documentaries. But if you are truly interested in what happens at the Battle of Armageddon, where the most detail is available in the book of Revelation is in the Marriage Supper Prophecy. So let's go to uh, the Marriage Supper Prophecy. Revelation 19, verses 17 to 21. So we're going to look just at the very end. John the Revelator says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and Great. Now, you are not a cannibal. Jesus Christ is not a cannibal. I am not a cannibal. It says here, come and eat the flesh of kings. Who is that instruction for? Well, we heard it at the beginning. The angel shouts to the, quote, vultures flying high in the sky. So the marriage supper referenced in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, I'm not talking about supper with Jesus mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, but specifically in the book of Revelation, in the marriage supper prophecy, this is about God's cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon itself and God's cleanup plan. Let's continue. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now, who are these parties? Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world. So the beast refers to the Antichrist. So recall that the Antichrist is mentioned earlier in the book of Revelation. In chapter 13, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, he is identified as the mouthpiece for the ten-nation alliance that will dominate economic and political affairs during the Great Tribulation. So it says here in a marriage supper prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verse 19, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Now who's the one sitting on his horse? So in earlier in Revelation 19, about the one sitting on his horse, it says, on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's in verse 16. So we're talking about Jesus Christ. So we have on one side the Antichrist, the kings of the world, and armies. So several nations will have given their armies, all of the armies working in tandem under the leadership of the Antichrist. So they are there on one side. And on the other side is Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. And it says in verse 20, 
and the beast was captured. So it doesn't even give us a tremendous detail, but here's the key thing. And the beast was captured, and with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. So at the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be captured. Now what happens to them? It says later in verse 20, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, this is not a metaphor. Multiple places in the Bible, including the book of Mark, including the book of Matthew, including elsewhere in the book of Revelation, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, the lake of fire refers to a physical location. This physical location is Gehenna. Now, hell has uh, multiple areas. Now, if someone was coming here, let's say uh, a visitor was coming from Japan or China or Libya or London, and the person said, oh, I'm going to visit the U.S. Well, the person could be coming over here to my neck of the woods, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia, maybe the person is coming to your neck of the woods, uh, Georgia, or maybe the person is coming to another person's neck of the woods in Texas or California or Montana. What's my point? The United States has many locations. Hell has many locations. Now, I just want to mention briefly, the best Bible study I ever heard on hell was given by Ian McCormick. Ian McCormick gave the best Bible study, uh, Bible teaching I ever saw on hell. Uh, briefly, let me mention, Gehenna is the specific location where the fiery lake of burning sulfur exists. I'm going to refer you to the book of Mark to see that. It's elsewhere in the Bible too. But that's the specific location. Also, in hell is Hades. Hades is where the prisons of darkness are. That's where people go prior to the great white throne judgment. So no human beings are in the lake of fire at this time. Now you might say, uh, well, I've seen people in the lake of fire. God has the ability to show you and me things that are uh, in the present, in the past, and in the future. In the future, after the great white throne judgment, Individuals who have been found guilty, in other words, individuals who have sin debt that hasn't been paid for, they will be sentenced to the lake of fire. They'll be sentenced to living in Gehenna. That's the fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever. That's their final destination. But they don't go from the prison of darkness uh, to being sentenced and being in eternal damnation until after they've had an opportunity to have their case heard. Now, God is a just God. People have the opportunity to have their cases heard. That's in the dead judge prophecy. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. But let's stay here. We're at the Battle of Armageddon. The beast and his false prophet at the Battle of Armageddon, when they are defeated, they don't get to have their case heard. They're the first two enemies of God who are sent to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, what about the third group? So we were told in Revelation 19 verse 
verses uh, chapter 19, verse 19, that standing there against Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven are three key players, the Antichrist, the false prophet, as well as the kings of the world and their armies. So the Antichrist and the false prophet at the Battle of Armageddon, they are captured and they are thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. But what about that third group, the kings of the world and their armies? Verse 21, this is the end of uh, the Battle of Armageddon prophecy, the marriage supper prophecy. It says their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. So what does that mean? It means that 100% of those individuals on the losing side of the Battle of Armageddon will lose their lives. They will experience death. They will, uh, being mortal beings like you and I, existing in a mortal body, when that sword extends from the mouth of Jesus Christ, it will destroy their mortal bodies. But as you may know, no human being that has ever been created can be destroyed. When a person experiences death due to mortality, that person has perfect continuity of life, living as a disembodied spirit and soul. The individual's mind, will, and emotions stay 100% intact. In fact, if the individual has suffered from any mental confusion, it's eliminated. When the person is promoted to heaven. Now, when a person experiences death, either the individual goes to present heaven as a disembodied spirit and soul, two and one, or the individual goes to Hades as a disembodied spirit, two and one. So the reference to Hades, you can see in the dead judge prophecy, it's a prison of darkness, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. You can see that in the Amplified Classic Translation, Hades. It's a prison of darkness. That's where those who await the great white throne judgment, that's their holding location. Think about it like this. When someone is arrested because the individual has uh, committed a crime or the individual is believed to have committed a crime, the person doesn't go straight to the penitentiary. No, 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 no. That would be unjust. The individual goes before a judge. Now, on this present earth, some judges judge and rule fairly, and some do not. However, God the Father is a righteous judge. And at the great white throne judgment referenced at the end of Revelation 20, every person who has died and who is in Hades, those individuals will have the opportunity to have their cases heard. God will bring his case against them. He will share his evidence, and the individuals will be able to share. Now, going back to the Battle of Armageddon, it says in verse 21, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. That means Jesus Christ will destroy 100% of the kings of the world and the individuals in their armies. Then here's, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The last verse of the marriage supper prophecy says, and I have to warn you, this is this is gory. This is this is perhaps upsetting, you know, if you're a 
unicorns and flowers type person. It says, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Let me say, I am a unicorn and flowers type of person, okay? So I don't say that uh, in a derogatory way. But I, I say it to warn you that war is ugly. And the Battle of Armageddon, it is war. Now, what's beautiful about it? After this war, which is a war waged in righteousness, is fought and won, there will never, ever, ever be another war on this present earth or the new earth to come. That's something exciting to think about. That's something exciting to know. That's something exciting, I think, to look forward to. Now, it says again, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. So this is why... um, It's referred to earlier in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding banquet. Some refer to it as the marriage supper. Some say the wedding feast of the Lamb. All of these translations are referring to the same thing. When the vultures commence following the instruction of the angel, which is to clean up this carnage that has emerged now that the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, Eat. Gorge yourselves on these dead bodies. We've got to clean up this 180 miles of blood. You say, well, how do you know it's going to be 180 miles? Revelation 14, verse 20. Also, the Battle of Armageddon reference there. But we're going to stay here for now. So we have heard in Revelation 19, in the marriage supper prophecy, that the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won by Jesus Christ. Now, Before the marriage supper prophecy, in Revelation chapter 17, chapter 18, in the first five verses of 19, we have the eighth statement of prophecy in these three prophecies that hang together. So prophecies 7, 8, and 9, documentary 7, 8, and 9, in the order of their appearance in the book of Revelation. So this is the purple and scarlet prophecy. This is the prophecy we're going to be focusing on in great detail in August. In August, the only thing we're going to be talking about on Secrets Revealed, understand the book of Revelation from start to finish, uh, unless God gives another instruction, is the purple and scarlet prophecy. Now, let's get into it a little bit here. So what happens before The Battle of Armageddon is fought and won. So in this prophecy, it says, I'm going to read a few of the scriptures so we can get the gist of it. Revelation 17, verse 1, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. Now, the great prostitute is the harlot church. During the great tribulation, there will be a harlot church, a false uh, form of Christianity that invites other religions to be a part of it and which has a perverted form of Christianity. It's the harlot church. Now, it says in verse 13, in verse 3, Um, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns and blasphemies against God were written all over it. 
The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and impurities of her immorality. God considers it immoral to engage in uh, sinful acts, and he considers it prostitution when individuals give their hearts to false gods. He considers it cheating on him, being a uh, giving oneself to a prostitute. Now, verse 5 of 17 says, A mysterious name was written on her head, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. Now, why does it say Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes? Every false religion, in other words, every religion that includes at its core any doctrine other than that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, any religion that has as its core Anything other than Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and no man gets to the Father except through him, is a part of those religions that reflect prostitution. Now, this doesn't mean that the individuals uh, who are practicing those religions are horrible people or ugly people or uh, evil people, but any of us can be deceived at any time. That's why we must go to the Word of God. The Bible tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? The Bible is the mind of God. It is the truth. It is God's love letter to those who will be his children. And each person gets to accept or reject the invitation to be a part of God's forever family. Now, God's forever family is going to live on this present earth in immortal bodies at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Some human beings have said, yes, I accept that invitation to be a part of your forever family. I accept the passport that you choose to issue me to the new earth. I accept your free gift of eternal life in an immortal body that will never, ever die. Others have chosen to reject each of those things. Now, what about the purple and scarlet prophecy? Revelation 17, 18 and 19, where we are. So before the Battle of Armageddon, the headquarters of Babylon the Great will be destroyed. Now listen, verse 6 of 17 says, I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. What is this telling us? During the great tribulation, the false prophet, another beast who will work in tandem with the Antichrist, he will be responsible for shedding the blood of the prophets of God who were witnessing for Jesus Christ during the Great Tribulation. Now, uh, let's continue. Verse, uh, verse 8 says, The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now. 
And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. And I want to uh, continue. Verse 18 says, And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. That's where I wanted to get to. Revelation chapter 17, verse 18. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. In a nutshell, what is the purple and scarlet prophecy about? It's about the destruction of the harlot church, the leader of the harlot church, and the headquarters of the harlot church. All of this happens in the timing immediately prior to the Battle of Armageddon. Again, in Revelation 17, verse 18, it says, And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that that city is Rome. Today we are focusing on the seven plagues prophecy. But in August, we're going to analyze this prophecy that we're mentioning briefly here, the purple and scarlet prophecy. We're going to go verse by verse and analyze chapter 17, 18, and verses 1 to 5 of 19. But for now, I'm going to assert that this city, and I have uh, scripture to prove that the city is Rome, this city is Roman, and in chapter 18 it says, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. Now, how in the world can all the nations of the world fall because of one city? During the time of the Great Tribulation, there will be not only a one-world government, a ten-nation alliance that dominates economic and world affairs, as mentioned in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, Revelation chapter 13, but there will be a one-world religion, a one-world religion that dominates, that dominates the nations of the world. There will be a perverted form of Christianity, a harlot church that will allow other religions to be a part of it, that will promote a, a false religion. And this one world religion will be uh, headed by the false prophet, and the false prophet will share in leadership working in tandem with the Antichrist, both serving the agenda of Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now it says in 18 verse 3, for all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. Whose immorality? The woman. Who's the woman? The city of Babylon. What city is this? This is the city of the harlot church, the headquarters of the harlot church. Well, what city is that? It's Rome. Now let's keep going. Very briefly, what is the end? What happens to the headquarters of the harlot church? Let's go and hear. What is the judgment of the headquarters of the harlot church after the great tribulation? 
after the great tribulation. Now, this is the culmination of the seven plagues. So we're going to hear the seven plagues prophecy before uh, next. But the seventh and final plague includes what we're talking about right now. It's so important that God gives it its own documentary, even though it's one of the things that happens when the seventh and final plague is poured out. That's in uh, Revelation 16, at the end of chapter 16. But then when you go to Revelation chapter 17, chapter 18, verses 1 to 5 of 19, it's all about the seventh and final plague, what happens when it's poured out. What's that? The headquarters of the harlot church, the head of the harlot church, they're going to be destroyed. Now, here it is, Revelation 18, verse 9. Uh, verse 8, therefore, these plagues will overtake her, talking about who, the woman, who's the woman, that's the great city Babylon, the headquarters of the harlot church during the great tribulation, therefore, these plagues will overtake her, talking about the headquarters of the harlot church, in a single day, death and mourning and famine. Okay, so that's the judgment for the headquarters of the harlot church, the harlot church. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city. In a single moment, God's judgment came on you. So the kings of the world are going to see. Now, which kings of the world? It says those who committed adultery with her. Those kings of the world that allow their nations, presidents, prime ministers, emperors, leaders of nations that allow their nations to receive the religion of the false prophet during the Great Tribulation. They will make this the religion of the nation. Now, if you live in America, we don't have uh, – it is a Judeo-Christian nation, but there's no national religion. I was watching a program yesterday, and a young lady had uh, – the young woman had family that was born in Haiti, and she uh, reported that she was a Haitian-American, and she said the national religion of Haiti is voodoo. So some countries have a national religion. Here in America, we don't have a national religion. We're a Judeo-Christian nation, but people are free to practice whatever religion they want. Um, and that's the case in many nations. But during this time, there will be nations. There will be kings of the world that tell their people, presidents, prime ministers, that this is now our religion. We're going to have world peace under the Antichrist. And part of having world peace is all of us practicing the same religion. We're all God's children, they will say, when in fact the Bible says we're not all God's children. That some are the children of Satan and some are the children of God. So uh, this great city, Babylon, Rome, is going to be destroyed by fire immediately prior to the Battle of Armageddon. 
Verse 16 says, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens. Now, who wears purple and scarlet? I think you may know the answer to that. We'll be talking about it in August. Um, and it says, how terrible, uh, verse 19 of chapter 18, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. Then verse 20, rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God, and apostles and prophets. So the destruction of Rome will not be something that is sad for those who are team Jesus. It will be something that is sad for those who are team Satan. Why? Because Rome will be the headquarters where the harlot church is promoting a false religion. Immoralities and uh, activities and actions and worship that is an abomination. Verse 20 says, for at last God has judged her for your sakes. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone. He threw it into the ocean and shouted. Just like this, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. What does that mean? Rome is going to be destroyed with violence. And it says it will never be found again. What does that mean? Not on this present earth or on the new earth to come. Now, why not? It says in uh, verse 23, the light of a lamp will never shine in you again, talking about the headquarters of the harlot church during the great tribulation. The woman talking about Babylon the happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again, for your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. What does that mean? The false prophet is going to be performing miracles. He's going to call down fire from heaven, it says in Revelation 13. He's going to be performing real, bona fide, supernatural miracles through the supernatural power of who? Satan. So supernatural miracles can emerge as a result of either the supernatural miracle working power of God or the supernatural miracle working power of Satan. Now you might say, research scientists, why on earth would you say supernatural miracle working power of Satan? And the reason I'm saying it is because that's what the Bible says. It tells us that in Revelation 13, one of the six actions of the false prophet during the great tribulation is that he will perform miracles specifically he will call down fire from heaven it will be a real miracle but the power the power that unleashes it the power that unleashes that miracle will be uh power from satan who is a liar and a deceiver and a plagiarizer now, verse 24 says, in your streets flow the blood of prophets and of God's holy people and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. Now, what does this mean, people slaughtered all over the world? During the Great Tribulation, people will be slaughtered all over the world. What people? People who refuse to bow down to and worship the statue commissioned by the false prophet. What statue? There's going to be a statue of the beast, the Antichrist, and there will be an edict that uh, when instructed, individuals in the presence of the statue must worship it. So individuals who refuse to take the mark of the beast, the number of his name, 
and who refuse to uh, bow down to the statue will be slaughtered. Now, is the slaughter going to happen everywhere um, at once? No. Some countries will be dominated by the one world government, but not every country. We know that the Antichrist will not be able to take over every country because we see in uh, Daniel and other books his frustration. And that, in fact, during the time of battle of Armageddon, he's entering Jerusalem because he hasn't yet taken it over fully. Okay, there are other nations that won't be taken over. Jordan is another one. Okay. Now let's continue. So we've been talking about what happens immediately before the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won. And immediately before the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, part of the seventh final plague is the destruction of the headquarters of the harlot church. What do I mean by the harlot church? The church that promotes a one-world religion during the three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation, that will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. Now, at the end of this prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verse 2, let's start with verse 1. It says, um, last half, praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute. Who's the great prostitute? The harlot church, who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. So when the false prophet takes out Christians and the Jewish people who are worshiping the one God in their rebuilt temple on the temple mount, individuals will be taken into captivity in Israel. Some of them will, be, uh, will lose their lives. Christians all over the world will lose their lives, not all, but some. Their deaths will be avenged. How? One of the ways that the Lord will avenge his servants, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and who lose their lives on account of witnessing for Jesus Christ, on account of them worshiping the one God during the Great Tribulation, is that he will destroy the headquarters of the harlot church. That will be Rome. Now, it says in 19, verse 3, and again, their voices rang out, praise the Lord, the smoke from that city, Mystery Babylon, ascends forever and ever. Okay, now, we did all that so that we could get to the seven plagues prophecy. We want to understand the secrets of the book of Revelation, the timing of key events at the end of the age. Now, we're going to the wrath of God. The Great Tribulation is three and a half years, according to Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 13. It's mentioned in both places as well as elsewhere. The Great Tribulation is precisely 1,260 days. It is a time of Great Tribulation for those who are team Jesus. After the Great Tribulation, which is a time of Great Distress, for those who are team Jesus, is the wrath of God. So the great tribulation is the wrath of Satan. The seven final plagues are the wrath of God. So if the great tribulation is a time of great distress for those who are team Jesus, for whom is it a time of great distress during the wrath of God? 
That's right. It's for those who are team Satan. The seven final plagues, as you will hear over and over again. We're going to hear this when we look at Revelation 16 in just a moment. Over and over again, it says that these plagues come upon who? Those who refuse to repent of their deeds. Those who have taken the mark of the beast. Those who have worshipped the statue. Those who have cursed God. No person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life is cursing God. No person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life refuses to repent of his or her evil deeds. In fact, repentance is step one. So if you look at Acts 2.38, repentance is step one. We have all repented. Every truth seeker and believer has repented. Now you might say, um, you might say, Dr. Nicole, this is my first time listening to this program. This program is for a truth seeker. It doesn't matter your religion. It doesn't matter your religion. You might say, I'm a Muslim. It does not matter your religion with respect to listening to PGN. Prophetic Grace Network is for every truth seeker. This program is for those people who say, I have to know the truth. I must know what is truth. I do not want to be deceived. I don't want to believe a lie. Truth seekers are everywhere. Now, I believe, and the Bible says, when you seek me with all your heart and soul, you will find me. Who said that? Jesus Christ. I believe that when you seek God with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Where will you find him? In Jesus. God the Father, who resides in heaven, gave himself a physical body so that he could reconcile those who were imperfect due to sin to himself. We cannot be in the presence of God the Father until we are perfected. Well, how can we be perfected when we were born with the propensity to sin? Now, it's not your fault that you were born with the propensity to sin. It's not my fault that I was born with the propensity to sin. We inherited these limitations, these issues from our foremothers and forefathers. When Adam and Eve sinned, now every human being that came after them was born in the image of Adam instead of the image of God. So Adam was born in the image of God, therefore he was immortal. And Eve was immortal. But when they sinned, that allowed death to emerge. And so they transitioned, they devolved. They devolved with the D is in dang it. They devolved from being immortal to being mortal. And we inherited that mortality. But the truth is that every person has the opportunity to regain what was lost. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to transition from mortality to immortality. You say, well, research scientists, when is that? At the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, as reported in Revelation chapter 14, he will sit on a cloud. And every believer who 
is alive at the time of his second coming, in the blink of an eye, will transition from mortality to immortality. Every DNA error will be fixed. And every person who has found and followed God's plan for salvation, who is in heaven, will descend from heaven. Because remember, they're waiting there. Perfectly intact. What do you mean by that? You say, how can a person be intact if the person is disembodied? Because every person is three in one or two in one. So you and I are three in one, body, spirit, and soul. Every person in heaven is intact, spirit, and soul. They're just waiting for the appointed day and hour when their reconstituted body rises to the grave and that body has a GPS tracker in it. It's coded exactly for them. The Bible tells us in First Thessalonians chapter four that those individuals are going to descend from heaven and they're going to put on their new bodies. So it's not a different body. They're not going to have a different face, but just the perfect version of the face. Right? So if your hair is thinning, it won't be thin anymore. If your knees hurt, they won't hurt anymore. If one leg shorter than the other, both of your legs will be uh, perfect. Every DNA error that has been inherited due to the fact that this earth has fallen, due to the sins of the mother and the forefather. Do you know that if your mother and father drank like a fish, then that impacted your DNA? If your great-great-grandfather did this or that thing, it can impact your DNA in a bad way, sometimes in a good way. You say, well, that's not fair. I agree. I agree. Now, God is a God of justice. How can he make it all right? How can he make it all fair? Is it fair that some people were born with a perfect body and other people were, were born uh, missing things that they really need? No, it isn't. Now, is that God's fault? No, it isn't. Well, what's his plan to make it right? The resurrection. When every person who has accepted his invitation transitions to a peak performance, perfect body, hallelujah, and it's not a body that will live for 120 years, 70 years, 90 years. Some people, unfortunately, live just nine days or 10 days, three years. Saw a TV show... Kids were dying, this or that. They're at St. Jude's, two years old, three years old, four years old. Listen, God's plan for justice is for every person to transition from mortality to immortality in a peak performance body and to live for the eternities of eternities. What does that mean? Not only for the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on this earth, but for eternities of eternities forever and ever beyond time beyond time there is a point where we will not keep track of chronological time when is that at the end of the age at the end of the world what world this world where there's sin you say well when does the end of the world happen after all five of god's enemies are destroyed the antichrist the false prophet satan all who are team satan and even death itself is going to be destroyed there's coming a day and an hour when there will be a new earth what's going to be on the new earth no more tears no more pain no more grief no more sorrow no more mourning no more death where's that 
in the New Earth Prophecy, Revelation chapter 21 to chapter 22, verse 5. Now, what about what happens before the headquarters of the harlot church is destroyed? So we, we, go, we went forward in time to the Battle of Armageddon, and then we learned before the Battle of Armageddon, the headquarters for the harlot church here on this present earth, that city is going to be destroyed. Now we're going to Revelation 16 because the seventh and final plague includes that city being destroyed. But it's so much information, it needed its own documentary. But now we want to hear, what are the other things included in the seven final plagues? The wrath of God. So part of the wrath of God is the headquarters of the harlot church being destroyed. But what else? How does it begin? So the, the abstract for the seven plagues of prophecy is chapter 15. The full report, the full report is chapter 16. We're going to go to chapter 16. We're going to look at the full report. Here it is, 16 verse 1. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Now what are we talking about here? The great tribulation, that was the wrath of Satan, that is now followed by the seven final plagues, which is the wrath of God. These plagues are for those who are team Satan. Who's that? The Antichrist and those who have taken the mark of the beast and, of course, the false prophet. Let's continue. Verse 2. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. So the first consequence, the first judgment that occurs on this earth as part of the seven final plagues is that every person who took the mark of the beast during the great tribulation and who worshiped the statue of the Antichrist will get a cancerous sore. Actually, it says uh, cancerous sores. Let's continue. Then the second angel, we're in Revelation 16, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Now, what is this saying here? How did, who, who shed the blood of God's holy people and God's prophets? So remember, the great tribulation has just ended. The great tribulation has just ended. That was the wrath of Satan, and now is the day and the hour. We have transitioned now. Satan's wrath has ended, 1,260 days. Now God's wrath has begun. 
Now, during Satan's wrath, the great tribulation, it says here, they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. Who's that? All who were team Satan, all who follow the Antichrist and the false prophet. So the world is going to permit another Jewish holocaust. They're going to allow the deceiver, Satan, who's giving instructions to the Antichrist. The Antichrist, he's going to stand in the rebuilt Jewish temple. According to the Bible, he's going to declare that he's God, and he's going to say that he's going to bring world peace and counterintuitively the man who uh, many Jewish people will say, this man is our Messiah. This man is, uh, he is, he is one of us. He has helped us to rebuild the temple. He has helped us to bring peace finally to Jerusalem. In fact, this man is the Antichrist, and he's going to stand in the rebuilt temple. He's going to declare that he's God, and when he declares that he's God, they're going to know he is, he is, he is not for us. And in that same speech, in that same timing, he will say, the way that I'm going to bring peace to the world is I'm going to destroy Israel. Talking about biological Israel, and that's going to be the beginning of another Jewish holocaust on this present earth. Now, God forbid it. God forbid it. I don't wish this. This is a horrible reality that we must prepare for. We must prepare for. We must understand the secrets that God has revealed. Now, during this great tribulation, uh, Revelation chapter 12 says uh, there will be war against the Jewish people who are there in Israel worshiping in their rebuilt temple. Revelation 13, at the end of Revelation 12, we're told that when Satan is unable to destroy Israel through the use of uh, natural disaster with water, he gets angry and he enlarges the war on Israel so that it's now a war on Israel and Christians worldwide. That's what we're told at the end of Revelation 12. So here, with the second and third final plagues, after the Great Tribulation, God was paying attention. God was paying attention, and he said, oh, you shed the blood of my people. Now your reward is I'm going to give you blood. You, want, you need something to drink? Oh, here it is. Here it is. You gave me blood by shedding the blood of my people. When you killed my people, you sent them to me. You shed their blood. Now they're with me in heaven because they lost their lives prematurely. So now I'm giving you blood just so you understand what it all is, just so you understand that I am God. But they don't get it. They don't get it. Let's continue. You say, how don't they get it? Verse 8, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Now, I shared with you last week and in other programs, this is one of the verses, Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, that causes me to believe that the first resurrection happens before the seven final plagues. So, uh, I've, I have been asked that question, and I said I'm not sure. And as I've been studying uh, 
for the last couple of years, but in the last few weeks, I have been persuaded. This is one of several verses that causes me to believe that the first resurrection happens before the seven final plagues. Let's hear it again. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. Now, everyone means everyone. Everyone means 100%. Not everyone except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So some places, like when we look at the 6666, sorry, the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it says everyone except for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But here it says everyone. There's no qualifier. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. So the wrath of God, uh, now the reward after the water in the salt water and then in the fresh water, that turning to blood, this fourth thing is the sun becoming, uh, it, it has changed in such a way that it scorches everyone with its fire. Now, those are the fourth, the first four plagues. The first of the four final plagues, they affect everyone. Now that we're getting to plagues five, six, and seven, we're going to see that this is focusing on the uh, Antichrist, the first two, uh, five and six, and seven, the Antichrist, and then seven also the false prophet. So now for the last three of the final plagues, there's a shift from God's wrath being on everyone who's team Satan to now focusing on, okay, I got to, I got to prepare to take out the antichrist and the false prophet. Now, remember the combination of all of this is the battle of Armageddon. So we heard that first. The Battle of Armageddon where the Antichrist and false prophet are captured and they're destroyed. How are they destroyed? With the second death. What's that? Being thrown in the lake of fire. God's plan for destroying all his enemies is the second death. So they're the first of God's five enemies to go there, the Antichrist and the false prophet. But now we've backed up. We saw in the prophecy before this, in the timing before this, the purple and scarlet prophecy where the headquarters of the harlot church is destroyed. Now we're in a timing leading up to this. We're at the fifth and final plague. This is where the headquarters of the Antichrist is attacked. Now, how does God attack the headquarters of the Antichrist? He causes a blackout. Now, imagine I live in the United States. Imagine if all of a sudden the headquarters of the White House, the headquarters of the United States, the White House had no power. Now, God forbid, right? God forbid. But if that happened, that would be a very big deal. The White House needs power. It's the, the throne of the president of the United States. So the Antichrist is going to have a blackout. That's God's plan. Let's hear it. Let's hear how that happens. Verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now, remember, the beast is the Antichrist. What's his throne? That's where he's located, where he sits. So where does Joe Biden, the president of the United States, 
sit, he sits in the Oval Office. Where? In Washington, D.C. So where the throne of the beast will be is a specific location on this earth. Now, will it be London? Uh, will it be um, – I don't know what city it will be is what I mean to say. I was going to give some other examples, but uh, more than likely, I am persuaded that it will be in Europe. Uh, I don't see specifically in the Bible where it tells us that. Certainly, I don't see it anywhere in the book of Revelation, and I haven't seen it elsewhere. But wherever the headquarters of the Antichrist is, that's what this is talking about. It says, and his kingdom, again, talking about the Antichrist, was plunged into darkness. What else happens? His subjects, who are the subjects of the Antichrist? All who have taken the mark of the beast, and these are the individuals who are a part of the one world religion, and they bow down to the statue and worship it. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they curse the God of heaven for their pains and sores. Now, what sores do they have? Remember, God's given them cancer, malignant sores. It says, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Let me read that again. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Every believer repents of his or her evil deeds. It's no way possible that any of these plagues are uh, appointed to God's people. Over and over again. In verse 9, and here again in verse 11, we see that the actions of those impacted do not reflect the actions of believers. Now let's go to uh, the sixth and final plague. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. Now what are we talking about? First, the headquarters of the Antichrist is given a blackout. Supernaturally, God causes a blackout at the headquarters of the Antichrist, then he's saying, okay, it's game time. You ever watch the Super Bowl or uh, the playoffs? It's kind of exciting, you know? I watched the playoffs this year. Uh, the Denver Nuggets won, as I recall. I was hoping that uh, Jimmy Butler's team would win. But uh, nonetheless, when it's game time, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Now, what's game time? Game time is when there's a competition. And at the end of the competition, there'll be a winner and a loser. Now, we already heard what happened at game time. And you say, well, research scientists, how in the world can you refer to the Battle of Armageddon as game time? Listen. There are winners and losers in life. Every human being has the opportunity to get on the winning team. If you knew in advance that the Denver Nuggets were going to win and you could be drafted to either team, the winning team or the losing team, it would be your fault if you chose to be drafted uh, to the losing team. It would be your fault if, if you chose that. So what am I saying to you, friend and truth seeker? I am telling you, according to the Bible, that the losing team are those individuals who take the mark of the beast, those individuals whose names have been blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Their names are not in there. Why? Because they have taken the mark of the beast, 
They have refused to uh, accept Jesus Christ. They're saying, listen, I'm going to pay my own sin debt. Let me handle my case. I don't need to go to mediation. So in 1 Timothy, it tells us Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. God has a case against anyone who sinned. Who sinned? Everyone. Everyone has sinned. Therefore, we all need a mediator. We all need to go to mediation so that we can avoid the great white throne judgment. You must go to mediation. Let Jesus handle your case. Now, he's going he's gonna to handle that case so you're in right standing with God. So you get your passport to the new earth. You are on schedule to transition from mortality to immortality. All your sin debt is paid for, and you are guaranteed to become a member of God's forever family. Now, why on earth would you want to reject these things? Why would you want to reject transitioning from mortality to immortality? I saw one scientist, uh, I'm saying scientist, he's not a scientist. I saw one man, he's obsessed with uh, health, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, but the only opportunity for immortality is with Jesus Christ. Now, he was uh, actually having the blood of his 20-year-old son given to him as a transfusion. That was one of the treatments he was doing. I read uh, earlier this week that he stopped doing that particular treatment since uh, it, that he believed it didn't work anymore. But he has a whole team of doctors. He's a, a very wealthy man, a whole team of doctors working to help him be as young and as healthy as he possibly can. And if I knew this man, I would tell him, Listen, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Follow that, and you will be guaranteed version 2 of your body. What version 2 of your body? That's the peak performance version of your body. That's the forever version of your body, the version of your body that cannot die. It's immortal. It's perfect. You say, well, I've, I've never heard of anything like that. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he inhabited a body, what kind of body? He was the first person to inhabit a perfected, glorified body. You and I are next if we have found and followed God's plan for salvation. Now, what happens when the sixth and final plague is poured out? So blackout, when the fifth and final plague is poured out, black, blackout at the headquarters of the Antichrist, and now God says, come on, it's game day. It's game time. And so he creates a path for the armies led by the kings of the world and the Antichrist to enter into Israel to come to the exact location where game day is. Game day is in a specific location, Armageddon. Now, let's hear how God causes his enemies to fall right into his hands. They don't even know it. Here it is. Verse 12 of chapter 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River. And it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. Leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So who's the dragon? Satan, the beast, the antichrist, 
and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. So they're having all these supernatural miracles happen. They're getting hyped up. They're like, yeah, we're about to take out Israel. They're having miracles happen. And they have uh, the Antichrist is going to grow in power and dominion, we're told, across the three and a half years. So things are looking good from the perspective of those who are deceived. Because they do not understand the prophecies of the Bible, they think they're on their way to triumph. They think they're on their way to uh, total world domination. It's like pinky in the brain, right? They think it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Let's hear what happens. Look, it says in verse 15, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. So this is going to be unexpected to them, but as described in First Thessalonians, we're children of the day, not of the night. So it won't be unexpected to us. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Okay, so that's it. They're going to actually uh, walk along the path of the Euphrates River, which will be uh, will have been dried up supernaturally, sufficient so that millions of people and their tanks and their uh, animals can all walk across that thing safely and easily. Uh, again, they're going to be excited. They're going to be worked up. You know how it is on game day. People, they're hyped. You know, they have their, their headphones on. They're listening to their music. They're chanting. Um, if you watched uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, there's a scene in there where they have all these soldiers and they're saying, ooh-rah, ooh-rah, and they're just getting all worked up. It's going to be like that. It's going to be like that um, on this day. Now, let's hear what happens when the seventh and final plague is poured out. Remember, I began our time today with saying that we were going to look at the three prophecies that hang together because this seventh and final plague gives us a brief snapshot. Part of what happens when the seventh and final plague comes is the destroying of the headquarters of the harlot church. So we're about to hear that that's one of the things that happens. But in the purple and scarlet church, we prophecy, we heard more about it, but let's hear it. Uh, Revelation 16, verses 17 to 21. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, It is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck, the worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections, and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So Babylon is mentioned here, but it also says in the cities of many nations. Okay, let's continue. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins. And he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm. And hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. 
That is the end of Revelation 16. If you haven't had a chance to look at the one-page study notes, I just want to alert you to uh, the fact that they are there in perpetuity. Whenever you get a chance, uh, I encourage you to take a look at them. The basic, basic study notes are available at blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic. You can go to the archives. There are basic study notes. Um, going back to September of uh, September of 2022 for every talk today is Sunday, June 16th, 2023, and we have been talking about we have been talking about the seven plagues prophecy in the Book of Revelation. So I'm so excited about what we're doing here. Let me mention that. Uh, we have a schedule going. My goal is for every truth seeker to understand the book of Revelation, book of Revelation from start to finish. So there are 12 statements of prophecy, 12 documentaries uh, in here. And in the order that they appear, we are talking about them, analyzing them, discussing them on this program. So the seven plagues prophecy is the seventh. It's July, so that's our focus. In August, we'll be talking about the purple and scarlet prophecy going verse by verse. In September, we'll be talking about the marriage supper prophecy. And in October, the millennial reign prophecy. In November, the dead judged prophecy. And in December, the new earth prophecy. If you would like to pose a question about the book of Revelation, go ahead and raise your hand. You can press 1. That will let me know that you're ready to talk. You're ready to talk. You have a question or maybe you want to share your perspective or you have a prayer request. Let me give the phone number. You can listen to PGN using our PGN phone number, which is one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. We have two PGN numbers. This is uh, the first PGN number for uh, – the additional programs beyond our main program. So our main program is every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with Prophet Randy Chandler from 9 p.m. Central Time, that's 9 p.m. Texas Time, until about midnight, Monday through Thursday. Then we have additional programs here on PGN, and those uh, programs use the 319-527-6027 number, uh, if you're wanting to listen to the main program uh, during the week, that number is one three one nine five two seven six seven three seven. You can text. You can text me twenty four seven. If you think of a question about the Book of Revelation, you can text that to uh, Prophet Randy Chandler. He'll forward it to me. Our PGN text number is one two one four. Five zero five eight seven one nine. That's one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine. Feel free to text in uh, a comment or a question or a prayer request. I'll take a look at it so that I can follow up on a future program. For the next five weeks, we will be on live every Thursday at eight a.m. Central Time. That's one hour earlier on Thursdays, just for the next five weeks. Um, and as always, we're on on Sundays at 12 p.m. Texas time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time. I want to thank you for being with me and with us. I never, never, never take for granted your time. I want to end with um, giving you a quick, in less than 60 seconds, I want to give you a quick list of the parts of the book of Revelation. Again, my goal is for 
every listener, every truth seeker to understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. So what are the six parts of the book of Revelation? The main part, part five, those are the documentaries, the statements of prophecy, the visions John the Revelator was saw that, that John the Revelator saw. But what are the other parts? Part one, there's a preface to the book. There's a preface, the first eight verses. Then the last eight verses of chapter one, a formal introduction. John tells us where he is and what happened from a second one of day one of his supernatural experience. Um, he, he quotes some of the words of Jesus Christ that happened at the time that it all started. So those are the first two parts, the preface and the introduction. Then chapters two and three, Jesus Christ only talking. We have the verbatim words of Jesus Christ. Jesus has some words for the seven churches. Remember in the book of Mark, there were seven, uh, baskets of bread left over. Well, when Jesus Ascended to heaven, there were seven churches, seven churches. So Jesus had some words of praise, words of correction or criticism, uh, and some comments about the rewards, rewards for every person who stays in Christ, who runs the race with endurance. He had a specific word for each of the seven churches. That's chapters 2 and 3, part 3 of the book of Revelation. Part 4, John's report on heaven. What does heaven look like? Read Revelation chapter 4, and you will see exactly what John saw. As if he was a police officer or a journalist, he tells us exactly what he saw when he was called up to heaven. Then chapter 5, all the way to verse 5 of chapter 22, all in a row, John writes down the visions he saw. Exactly what he saw when he was called up to heaven, he didn't have the benefit of a cell phone or a video camera to tape it so we could see it. So he wrote down using the technology he had, parchment and a writing utensil, he wrote down everything he saw and heard in these external visions he had, moving pictures, movies, we would call them today, documentaries. Then what's the last part of the book of Revelation, part six? A formal conclusion. I like a book that ends like that. Uh, I like a book that ends like that. What does it all mean? What's the take-home point? You know, sometimes it's good to to really understand something to go to the conclusion and then go back. Where's that? Revelation uh, chapter 22, beginning with verse 6 to the end. That's the formal conclusion. Just like the formal introduction, who's talking? John and Jesus. John and Jesus chopping it up for who? For us. Truth seekers and believers telling us what it all means, why we should care about this, telling us that these statements of prophecy are authentic and true. Hallelujah. I want to thank you for being with me and with us. I invite you to be with me and with us again on Thursday at 8 a.m. Central Time. That's 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, we'll be back next Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you, according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He will show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. And I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you and with you before we end today. Revelation chapter 1 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and 
He blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So I declare and decree according to the word of God that you, friend, you truth seeker, are blessed because you listened to the message of the book of Revelation. And I pray that you will obey what it says. Until next time, friend, take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.